1: We look forward to you taking part in our conversations. Hi, guys. This is Sandy here. In a moment, I'm going to throw you to our interview with Allison Heilig, Um, and it's actually an interview that Nat conducted on her own because I was out sick with this terrible lost voice, sniffles, coughs. It was great, gooey, wonderful, gross, disgusting stuff. Um, But. Nonetheless, (laughs) the interview was a really good one. I think you're really going to enjoy it and get lots of value from it. Um, And this is also our first uh, sort of giveaway that we're going to host with Allison um so uh we will be giving away a copy of allison's new book it's called the durable runner um and to enter the contest um you're gonna have to follow both us and allison on instagram um so for us it's at net and sandy yoga for allison it's at it's allison heilig um and that's spelled a-l-i-s-o-n H-E-I-L-I-G. And then once you do that, uh, just go to the post in which we post uh, about the giveaway. And you're just going to comment on your favorite moment in the podcast. Um, And every comment will count as one entry. You have a limit of three entries. And then we'll just randomly pick a person. (laughs) And if you're lucky, um, yeah, you'll get picked. We're going to announce the winners on next week's podcast. So that would be December the 4th. So keep your eyes out for that. Um, And that's about it. Uh, So Alison's lovely. We met her, both Nat and I met her together at a training. We all did all together, one of uh, the yoga medicine trainings out on the West Coast. Um, She's super knowledgeable, super experienced. um, And we really, really think um, you'll enjoy this interview. So without much further ado, here we go. Thanks, guys. Good morning, Allison
0: good morning how are you doing I'm doing well how are you doing Allie I'm good I just woke up and I <laughs> looked at your Instagram or I looked on Facebook or something you had already like posted something but you're three hours ahead of I, me, yeah but... you are <laughs>
2: <laughs> times times a little different
0: <laughs> yeah so you've already gotten your morning workout in or movement practice yes. yes nice awesome yeah I gotta
2: how... take care of me first thing in the morning or else it just gets pushed to the side I'm doing
0: that more and more now. I finally, I mean, at the age of 33, almost 34, I should have figured it out beforehand, but I haven't. Now I'm just figuring it out and it's the best. That's just, I yeah. gotta, that's how I gotta do it. I feel so much better for my day. So for sure. Um, I'm really excited to talk about a number of things with you. Um, you are a recent author.
2: Yes.
0: How do you feel about that?
2: a little (laughs) overwhelmed. (laughs) Um, yeah, it was, uh, so I had the idea for my book two and a half years ago and, uh, being at the other end of it now, it seemed like one of the longest and most challenging experiences of my life. Um, and being on the other side of it now, I have a, you know, a slightly different perspective of, so, I mean, if you would have asked me six months ago, I probably would have told you it was really miserable, but now, um, like being able to hold my book and share my book and talk about my book has got me pretty excited about it. Um, yeah, it's hard to write a book, um, even if it is your own personal philosophy, it actually, I actually think in a lot of ways makes it even more challenging. Um, so I went through this long process of questioning everything I believed and, you know, because if you're gonna write it down and let people read it and it's gonna be, you know, a thing, <laughs> you have to be really sure of yourself or at least relatively sure. So. Um, it was a tough process, but I'm really, I'm really excited um, to be able to say that I have a book. <laughs> you know, at first it's an idea and now it's a book.
0: Yeah, I'm really proud of you. When I saw that you were doing this, I couldn't really believe it because, well, I've, I've written a master's thesis. That was bad enough. Oh, yeah. um, but you're being edited to write in a scientific way. So you, you don't really get to use your own voice. So you right. don't a good good and a bad thing like that's frustrating but you don't have to stay the course of like okay hey, this is what I this is what I sound like and this is what I believe mm-hmm. um the only other similar experience is Sandy and I doing this podcast and then we do it and it's out in the public and then we're yeah. like oh shit we shouldn't have said it that way or yeah. i didn't really oh, yeah. mean when yeah <laughs> but
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> so you know like you're, you're dissecting every word of it and you know you're making this decision during the process of this is what I believe in this moment. And and but the thing is, is that we are constantly changing. We are like mm-hmm. I'm constantly learning. I'm out there seeking to learn more and be proven wrong so that I can grow. And so it's incredibly overwhelming to think of I'm going to write all this stuff down. I'm going to question whether I believe it. And then in four months, I might not have said it this way. I might not be so rigid in my beliefs, or I might have completely changed my mind, you know, because evidence to the contrary has been presented to me and I'm totally open to that. So it's a really daunting process to think that, you know, even from the time I finished writing it in April of this year to the time that I got it back for editing for the final manuscript in October of this year or September of this year, even then looking at it, I was like, this is a snapshot of the past, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not even current anymore to me, but I can't, I have to let it be a snapshot of the past. I cannot try to continue to revise it. I'll never finish this book. I'll never go to publish. If I try to let it be this living, breathing thing, which is my philosophy in my head, but it just it has to be a moment in time, a moment of my belief and kind of a snapshot of that. And, and that really that mindset helped me to be able to bring this to a conclusion, because I feel like if I didn't have like a deadline, a contract saying that if you don't finish writing this book by this date, you are in breach, I think I probably would have the perfectionist in me would have sat on this thing forever and waited until it was, quote unquote, perfect. And then it would have never gotten out there.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The other thing I compare this to is even for me, just teaching a yoga class, yeah. like I didn't start teaching until I finished a 500 hour training because after a two, my 200 hour, I was like, I have so many questions and how, like, there's so many ways to do different poses and yeah. so many beliefs and holy shit, like how am I supposed to Every yeah. And you know, teachers are out there teaching for 20 30 years and they're like yeah the stuff that i taught at the beginning like there's no way
2: i would say that anymore yeah yeah and that's that. i mean that it's comforting in some ways you know to know that others have been in that situation and that you're not alone and feeling like i'm gonna say something stupid that i wish i could take back later you know but also at the same time it just makes it incredibly overwhelming where you're like i'm always going to be outgrowing the things that i'm saying and the things that i believe and so you want to just keep your mouth shut until you have all the information but you never will like that's that's a destination that does not exist and, yes. and that's a really hard thing to to think about whenever you're putting your creative work or your your life's work out into the world like this is the way people are going to see me and remember me. This is the, this is the part of me that they're going to see. And you have to get comfortable with knowing that they are always going to have in their hands, a picture of your past belief. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you get comfortable with that? Like, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, a hundred percent. But I think people are really going to benefit from this book. I mean, if, if you have, and yeah, you wrote about it, like you took all that time and effort to write about it. I'm really excited to buy it. I got back into running recently. My husband has been running for a while, and he's a pretty fast runner, so he's always trying to beat, like, a certain time. Mm. Um, and, I, and I'm and i just really interested to see what you have in there. Sandy ordered it, but we're not getting it until December or something up oh, in no. Canada. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like slow, slow shipping to get here for whatever reason, even though we're – Not that far away, but it'll be like a Christmas present we can read over the holidays. There you go. Yeah. So, like, what in your process of running and athletics and yoga was there one specific thing that really pushed you to write this book? Or you're just like, I have to, I have to write this book.
2: Yeah. I, um, so I, before I, switched gears four, four and a half years ago and started running my own business and started teaching yoga and, and started coaching and doing all that stuff. Uh, I was in corporate legal for 12 years. And uh, so like the, the seed really planted then. Um, at, at, the, at the time I first started, I, I didn't run when I was younger. It was like punishment in every sport that I ever played. So I didn't really have much love for running until I was in my 20s. And at the time i was um i was working in a family law firm and family law litigation which is a really challenging place to be uh there's so many emotions and so much rawness um when you're talking about families um and the, and the separation of families and and all that that entails. and at the same time my mom and dad um, were getting divorced and it was a very volatile divorce and i had two much younger siblings Um, who were still in the house and there was a lot of stress happening kind of at that period of time because it was my my day job was to deal with the disillusion of families and then in the in the evenings my job (laughs) within my own family was to help my mom navigate the process of her own divorce while my sisters were still tangled up in it and i went for a run one day and um actually went for a walk i went for a walk and i was just so frustrated and angry and emotional that i broke into a run and i was i was wearing like flip-flops and (laughs) i had like sweatpants on i was not prepared to go for a run because that that urge had never hit me before Mm -hmm. um but i went for a run and i only made it a quarter of a mile because it was pretty out of shape and then i just i I continued to walk and then I, i went home and i loved the way that that sort of clearing that energetic clearing in the my physical body felt like for the first time in my life it just clicked like that level of intensity for that short period of time was exactly what i needed to kind of soften the edge of the experience of that i was having in my head and in my heart and kind of letting it discharge in a really physical way and uh that was the beginning of running for me i i I loved the way that it felt I went out the next night and I did that same quarter mile again. And gradually I built up to um, running marathons and ultra marathons, but that was not without a lot of bumps in the road. I was getting injured very frequently as most people do when they come to the sport later in life. They, they think I've been running since I'm two years old, so I know how to do it. And it's a really quote unquote, low maintenance um, sport to participate in or hobby. Uh, But I had spent the better part of my life since I was a child sitting, you know, in school and then in college and then in my job. And my body was not ready to go for a run. You know, Mm -hmm. it it was I had been training it for decades to sit in a seat and stare at a computer and it did never occur to me that I needed to do a little bit more work to really make sure that my body was ready for it. But I was really drawn into it. I was really loving what it was doing for me in so many ways. But physically, it started to break me down. And Mm -hmm. I it was one injury after another, after another, after another, until um, shortly after my 30th birthday, nine years ago, I broke my hip. And uh, that was from the repetitive stress of running and The repetitive stress of running without adequate support around my hip joints. So I I fall into the hypermobility spectrum. Um, I indulged in large ranges of motion in my yoga practice for a long time until that became problematic and my yoga practice was hurting me. Um, But it was really not helpful for running where you actually need tension and support and balance around your hip joints because you're adding an enormous amount of load to that joint when you add impact. And my body put up with it for as long as it could. And then my hip broke and the recovery from that was so long. And uh, you know, it was like eight months of no running. I wasn't allowed to do anything weight bearing on my leg. I was on crutches for 12 weeks. I was in constant pain unless I was laying down. And I live in a three level townhouse mm-hmm. where the only door in is on the bottom level and the only showers are on the top level. <laughs> so, crutches for 12 weeks up and down the stairs Um, felt like I got hit by a bus at the end of every day and emotionally the toll that it took on me was awful you know feeling like this thing that was really helping me in so many ways mentally and spiritually was breaking me down physically and I felt so fragile like I'm being held away from the thing that really could help me and that I'm being prevented from using my body in that way to really be you know whole happy and healthy so the the coming back from that was was tough and i continued to get injured for a while but i did a lot of work to adjust the way that i trained i did not um i did not do uh, any real strength training other, you know, I would just go for a run. I'm like, that's all you need. You want to run, you want to get better at running, go for a run, you know? And then I would, I, but I, I did not really experience any tightness in my body. Usually, I, um, I just, I had too much, I had so much range of motion on my body. That tension was kind of foreign to me. So I spent a lot of time learning to develop tension, um, using resistance bands and strength training and, and creating a more balanced approach to the way that I treated my joints. And making sure that they were well-supported. And uh, that process was, was eventually what became what's laid out in the book.
0: Oh, my God. That's amazing. Your story is so cool. I mean, th- th- this is what I always do. I, someone gets injured and I think it's cool. But <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: it can be, especially if especially they, if, they, if they use that feedback appropriately. It certainly can Yeah.
0: To. I think it's so it just like the whole story it kind of blows my mind the fact that running broke your hip periods like yeah. was it on stride on
2: impact like a um so it was a it was a stress fracture of the femoral neck um okay. it, it it happened it was my hip felt very unstable there was no moment like uh when they talk about hip breaks that that result from stress reactions in the hip uh, they often talk about there being this moment where it feels like you got shot in the hip. I never mm-hmm. had that moment. Um, my, I, I woke up one day and my, it felt like my underwear were on too tight. Like there was this pinching feeling in the inguinal crease, mm-hmm. um, and I was it just, it felt, and it was so deep. It was like, like you can't put your finger on, it, you can't dig around in there, you can't stretch it away. There was no way that I could, I could really put my finger on what was happening, and then. Um, It was too uncomfortable to run on. So I I took a break from running, obviously. And then um, we went to Germany. My husband is from Germany. We went to Germany and we were on a little little horse and buggy on our way up to Neuschwanstein, um, the castles there. And I was sitting in in the buggy and the driver had kind of wedged me into the front seat with him. And then My legs were really squeezing in towards each other and the angulation of my femur at that moment, we went over a couple of bumps and he kind of elbowed me a few times. And I felt that's when I felt Mm. that something bad had happened to my hip. And when I got off the buggy, I just laid on the ground and just cried. And the rest of the trip, I was in an enormous amount of pain. Um, and when I got home, I had my hip MRI and it was a pretty significant, um, stress fracture at that point. The doctor thinks that it was actually broken. There was a hairline fracture before we went to Germany. And then the kind of the positioning of my, of my femur and the way that I was kind of being jostled around had just caused the, 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 the break to grow. Um, so repetitive stress, uh, the, of the femoral neck inside the acetabulum is kind of what caused it because it would broke from the bottom up. Um, And that was just from not having any uh, active support around my hip, the muscles of my hip were not holding the femur in the socket, they were just kind of letting it bounce around inside the socket. So the good news here, you said it's, it's cool when somebody gets injured, actually looking back, the good news is my bone broke. If my Hmm. bone hadn't broke, I would not have changed the way that I trained and that dynamic of my, my femur banging around inside the acetabulum would eventually worn through the cartilage. Mm-hmm. And potentially, by the time I turned 40, I could have needed a hip replacement. Yeah. Um, so the fact that the bone broke at the time, it was like it's a dramatic injury, but it was it was a godsend because it woke me up. It woke me up to how I'm not supporting myself. How I um, could be doing so much better uh, to protect the joint structures in my body that are not capable of healing themselves the way that a bone is. So I got really lucky. You know, it didn't seem like it at the time, but the more that I went on to look at anatomy and how this stuff happens, I realized how incredibly fortunate I was to have had an injury that was severe enough to wake me up, but was something that could heal. hmm.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I relate to your story, like a little bit not to the like not with the breaking of the femur, but I used to exercise, probably over exercise a little bit in my undergrad university days, Um, just be like kind of a gym rat, mostly mm-hmm. cardio, and then a little bit of weights. And mm-hmm. uh, what I was doing on the treadmill, I think I was like walking walking uphill sometimes or running a little bit and then taking running outside and then at some point I I think I pulled or sprained or strained or trying to think which sprain is a sprain is a ligament strain is a no I got it mixed up anyways my psoas <laughs> pulled it a little bit um, mm. to the point where walking upstairs I'd have to like grab my thigh and kind of prop my leg up to get up the stairs. Yeah. Um, And I have a pretty high pain tolerance. I Mm -hmm. it didn't bother me too much to to stop until until I was like having to grab my leg to move it up the stairs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was young, I was in my early 20s. So I just thought, you know, maybe that's not for me. And then if I try running again, I could always feel that residual injury, like that tension that I have that mm-hmm. like a pelvic imbalance from sitting a lot from being a student for so long and having yeah. desk jobs. Yeah. Um, And then eventually, like yoga became my practice to to kind of heal that that residual injury and understand imbalance in my body and understand I'm not a hypermobile person but I have a couple areas in my body where I have mobility just mm-hmm. like that l- lower lumbar like yeah. I can bend I can bend in my back but then like I have no hip extension right okay. Um so just creating that imbalance because I feel it like I feel it right away when I'm not doing that work so Sandy and I talk a lot about and you talked about the emotional impact of injury and cuz mm-hmm. that's what I experience like yeah. it it totally sent me from like this bubbly, 21-year-old, whatever, to just a pretty miserable person. Oh. I remember my mom was just like, you are shit to be
2: around right now. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure that's how my husband would describe the eight months that I was recovering from my hip break as well. Um, but I, I'm surprised we're still married after that. Honestly, <laughs> I was so miserable. Um, and it's not even just the pain aspect. It's the feeling like you're at war with yourself. Yeah. You know, and like this feeling of being incredibly fragile when the reality is our bodies are not fragile, Mm -hmm. but you feel so fragile when it's like, it's all out of my control. I don't have control over this vehicle that I'm in. And that physical fragility kind of bleeds into your mind and your soul. and, And it just starts to like decay from the inside. Yeah, it's just such a terrible place to be, especially, you know, when it's a long term thing. Like, I mean, I'm right now coming out of a a fracture in my foot that I I broke my foot 17 weeks ago. And I'm still dealing with a little bit of the the like the the swelling of the bone and feeling like there's um, not enough space in my foot for my bones, which Mm -hmm. is just a really strange feeling. But, um, you know, like that, that was like, it was an acute injury. Um, it took a couple weeks, you know, it was some pain, but like, it never really got to my head, but the longer these things drag on and the more you think I'm healed, but you're not, you know, (laughs) and you get Mm -hmm. a setback and it's like, see, I'm never going to be better. And Mm -hmm. that, that mindset, you know, was really where this book came from, was from the more that I started to share what i knew and and the ways that i worked with my body to correct what was happening there so that i was able to go on to run really long races and do lots of competition was you know talking to people and 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 really diving into that feeling of being fragile and how this thing that you wanted to empower you right physical exercise most of us get into it to be more functional and more empowered and feel strong and what do you do when that thing is the source of so much feeling of vulnerability and is the thing that seems to be breaking you down and and dealing with that is is such a complicated thing mm-hmm
0: oh my god yeah D- did you did you receive good support uh, on how to um get that balance in your hip after your fracture like did you see physical therapists and people that helped you because i was told to go to a physical therapist, they were pretty shit, unfortunately. Like I saw a couple mm-hmm. people and they some people told me like not to bend my lower back and that I had no core stability and just to do sit ups. Um and no one really addressed like my actual hip stability problem. So it took me doing yeah. eight hundred hours of yoga teacher training <laughs> myself, and God knows how much that cost to yeah. really have a clear idea of, of how to how to work with this stuff.
2: And I pretty much I'll say I navigated it a lot on my own, not because I necessarily felt like I had to I, my orthopedist was really great. Um, when I broke my hip, and I asked him, should I stop running? Because that was, you know, people people will say like, when they and they get keep getting hurt by an activity, the easiest thing to do is to blame the activity and to say, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're just not built for running or you just shouldn't squat below parallel or, you know, things like that. When, when in the reality is it's not the movement right there. Most of the time, I mean, I had never had any traumatic injury prior to that point. There was no reason to believe that my body was not fully capable of running when it was balanced. But so like when I asked the orthopedist, should I quit running? um he actually told me there's nothing here suggesting that you can't run healthy but you have to change the way that you train you can't just run you have to do more than that and you have to really pay attention to all the blind spots that you have and so i could have gone to physical therapy um i didn't i i did a lot of work on my own i got my corrective exercise specialization i became a running coach um I started to really look at the, I was looking for a solution. I was looking for some way to make this workable and, and and my, I'm like that. My, my mom would tell you I'm very stubborn, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and you, you tell me I can't do something or there's no way to do something. I will, I will bend myself any way I need to, I will work really, really hard just to prove that wrong. And so my stubbornness really kicked in of like, how do I make this work? I am not okay with the way that this is making me feel and how do i how do i find a way around that how do i navigate that so i did the same thing you did i went out and i started getting really really educated um in all of these areas and from there it led me to start working with other people because i mean i, I was running the, i wasn't always hit breaks i mean my mind was pretty extreme but there were many many people out there that i was talking to that were abandoning their physical pursuits ones that they loved, ones that they cherished, because they felt too fragile to do them. Mm -hmm. And they were afraid of that feeling of of being broken. And so they just avoided these things. And and we were watching their bodies kind of get a little worse because you need to move your body in order for it to maintain itself appropriately. You need to be working it, but you need to be doing it compassionately. And I felt like there was no one, at least in my experience, out there teaching people how to move compassionately through these things, that it's not necessarily the activity that's breaking you, but rather the way that you're accomplishing that activity. How do you look at what you're doing and know that, if, if something isn't working correctly and you're getting the feedback of injury and pain, how do we figure out what's causing that versus just chucking the movement out the window um, and, and spending your whole life believing that you're too broken to do that thing? Because mm-hmm. I think that that is a really difficult mindset to ever get past. You know, this feeling of like, there's something out there I want to be doing, but I'm too fragile to do it. So why mm-hmm. don't we look at what you're doing? and see how we could find a way to deal with the underlying mechanical issue that's happening here so that you don't have to spend your life thinking you're too fragile to move in the way that you want to move.
0: Yeah, you have the entire rest of your life if you stop doing that one thing. I mean, there's so many movement practices. Maybe you find something else you love. but Yeah. If you have, like, if you have some injury, usually somewhere it'll show up in another place eventually if you don't address it.
2: Absolutely. I love that you
0: talked about, sorry, I love that you talked about compassionate movement. Like, I just, that's exactly what I want people to be doing because, you know, there's some yoga teachers who kind of demonize other movement practices. I've yeah. seen teachers like laughing at people crossfitting, doing yeah. crossfit I'm and stuff a, like that. I'm and, a
2: crossfitter. So. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, I have like I'm starting to lift more weights now and loving it. And like, yeah, I just am a believer. No movement is bad movement unless yeah. you're not loading properly, you're doing right. too much repetition with poor form, and there's just nice. always a better way to do it. But yeah, m- movement compassionately can look like anything in the yoga practice. For me, is something that supports my nervous system and my stress, and then yep, me allows too. me allows me to move in my other ways. Like yeah, it's not yeah. the it's not the movement practice. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really something Agreed. that assists. So I love that compassionate movement. That's so important. Yeah,
2: and I mean, when I was navigating the my, my foot fracture. Um, it was difficult for me to practice anything active. And I mean, my own personal practice at home is not all that active anyway, because my lifestyle is so high intensity and Mm -hmm. all the other ways I move my body are so high intensity. I mean, I'm a competitive CrossFit athlete and I'm a competitive runner. Um, you know, like those are pretty, pretty high intensity. And my Mm -hmm. wife is very high intensity and I like it that way. But, I I need something to balance all of that out or I burn out. So my yoga practice is is mellow. And as you said, it supports my nervous system. It's what enables me to show up in those other areas of my life with intensity, because I very consciously take a step back from that in my yoga practice and go into this balancing aspect, this nourishing aspect. Um, And so like with with my foot injury, even an active yoga practice, I could not lunge. I could not be in plank. I could not be in down dog. I mean, I could not be in so many different poses. I couldn't run obviously, but being in the gym, I was able to go through my 17 weeks with a broken foot and not lose any strength at all on my lifts um, because I was being compassionate, but I continued to move and load my foot in a way that was smart. Um, and was with full and complete understanding of how a bone heals and what it needs to heal. Um, and now like, I mean, I was, I was at the gym the same amount of times every day while my foot was broken than when I wasn't, and I wasn't being dumb. I wasn't doing things that I shouldn't be doing with a broken bone, but I was being very smart and realizing that one bone of all of my bones is broken. Um, so what? What do you mean I can't? Why wouldn't I go to the gym? I have so many things going right in my body right now. Mm-hmm. And there is a way to move in a way that's compassionate, even when you are injured and even when you are healing. And, uh you know, like I'm glad that I have three different types of movement primarily in my life because I feel like with a broken foot, when running and yoga off the table, I would have gone Uh I need to move. So I was glad that I had CrossFit and it's infinite amount of scalability. Like you take Mm -hmm. every movement, you look at the intent of it. And if you can't do it with a broken foot, you find another movement that has that intent. You do the same workout as everybody else. Otherwise it was, it was, it was perfect. You know, I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. And if nothing else, I was working on things I was really not good at. And because all the things I was good at, I couldn't do. Yeah. So I got really strong in that time period because I had another movement modality to lean on. And I never got depressed. That six that 17 weeks that I was healing, I w- it was like, all right, I have a broken foot, but I'm just gonna carry on, you know? It was a completely different dynamic than any other time I've been injured in my life. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, just because like all of your education you can and your experience with your previous injury, you can eliminate that fear around injury yeah. because yep. that's what limits people. My husband broke his wrist and there were certain things that I, at a certain time I knew he could move it in certain ways, but he was just like afraid to load it or move it
2: mm-hmm. for such
0: a long time until, until like months and months after. And then there was so much tension. Um yeah. We well, put the bone through the skin. So there was a lot of scar <sighs> tissue,
2: Yeah,
0: but Yeah. It's just like, if you don't know, you're just like, people don't, don't move it. Right. Like don't. Yeah.
2: (laughs) yeah. People were just like shocked that I am out there still doing stuff. Um, almost like it wasn't happening. And, um, and, and, you know, there was a a little bit of criticism, even like maybe you should just rest. And it's like, that's not always how we heal best. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's not every injury requires total and complete rest. Like I was resting my foot. I was i did not need to rest every other part of my body in fact i think it healed as quickly as it did and as well as it did because the, it continued to use my muscles and there was blood supply and then at the point where the muscle was the bone was starting to harden as mm-hmm. i started to load it strategically and smartly mm-hmm. um intelligently i it actually the bone hardened quicker because I was putting weight on it and challenging it to harden to solidify to support me you know so like I was working with the intelligence of my body to heal in a way that um, was not pushing it but was adding the appropriate amount of stress so that I didn't end up with a foot that was super tense and felt weird for months afterwards mm-hmm. you know because that's definitely the challenge is that if you if you don't load up your foot, Uh, for months because you're afraid of it everything in your foot gets tight and compressed and just off and I mean I noticed that just in the three weeks that I was in my walking boot um that during that time period my foot hurt worse than it than it did when it was just broken my foot was achy every single day Mm -hmm. from being in that walking boot um it was like my ankle felt like there was like bone compression there was tendonitis developing in the top of my foot from me pulling my toes back Mm -hmm. inside the boot there was all sorts of funkiness happening i could not wait to get that boot off (laughs) (laughs) the boot came off it was like oh now with just a little bit of my body weight on it as i walk my foot feels so much better yeah yeah
0: totally um i want to talk about your website I've actually never looked at your running blog, but I'm looking at all your little awards for like best running blog and all this stuff that's amazing I should have gone here earlier (laughs) I'm sent my husband has so much homework now (laughs) sending him like a book and a blog um he does yoga too like he totally he totally gets it he's half the time has all my props out in the living room doing stretching like he knows he has to do that maintenance to to feel good running and do his do his other sports um but your kind of tagline is the pursuit of awesome so I just wanted to ask you about that
2: yeah. So, um, I, my, my, it was the, my blog was initially called life running and the pursuit of awesome. And initially it was still, I was in corporate job. Um, it was really just a, it was running blog, like a, like posts of like race reports of the mm. different marathons. And I was doing a lot of crazy things at that time. Like I was running, you know, marathons back to back and, and stuff like that. And, and then just kind of documenting the challenges that I faced and, um then it as i evolved the the blog evolved and eventually i dropped the beginning of it and just called it the pursuit of awesome because i think it's a little it's a universal theme you know like i think all of us in some area of our life are chasing excellence or chasing pursuing that something that's you know a little bit you know above and it's not that it doesn't necessarily need to be anything major but you know maybe it's just we're trying to be the best possible parent or the best possible human being um, you know, and we're all out there in some area of our life, some people, many areas, <laughs> chasing that, that next level um, and whatever that may be for you. So the blog uh, initially started as, as running, only running really, and then it kind of developed into the mindset of, of the mindset and the, the challenges that come up when you're chasing growth and chasing excellence and chasing awesome in your own life.
0: Cool, that's so awesome. So you coach people one on one, and you also teach group yoga classes.
2: Yeah, so I um I teach group yoga classes. I am a corrective exercise specialist, so I work with people that have injury and pain issues. Most of them are pro are post PT, so the acute mm-hmm. stages of their injury has passed. Um, for all insurance purposes, they've been cleared and um basically said you're fine and but a lot of those people continue to have issues that keep them from their own pursuit of awesome from the things that they want to do in their life so i work with them um one-on-one in a clinical setting to uh work through some of these issues and Initially, it was, you know, from the corrective exercise perspective, it was mostly, you know, mobility work and strength work, which is kind of the the combination that you think of with corrective exercise. But as time went on, and I started to do my yoga teacher training and started to get more into um, the kind of the mental aspects of injury and pain and how the nervous system is so intertwined. And, you know, recognizing that, uh these patients that i'm seeing are mostly people that have like clear imaging like there's pain but no injury you know that that pain of an unknown origin you know um and how much of that is actually not tied to their muscular system their musculoskeletal system how much of that is actually tied to their nervous system and in maybe even just improper firing patterns in their breathing you know um so what i do is is not just corrective exercise anymore and it's not just private yoga with my um, private clients it's a combination of of all of that Um, working from many different approaches and treating the whole person not just their pain not just their injury but looking at how everything in the system may be contributing to the issue and finding ways that they're able to kind of develop their own daily practice that can help them find their way out of that place that they're in. So I, I mix a lot of modalities and that's, that's what the book is as well. The book is a combination of corrective exercise, yoga and myofascial release to create physical and mental durability um, so that you can continue to do the things that you wanna do and, and have the durability to withstand the vigors of training.
0: Oh, cool. Do you incorporate any meditation in that?
2: Yes. So the, um, yes, I do. Meditation is such a huge part of what I do. Meditation, visualization for performance and things like that. Awesome. Um, Visualization for muscular release, uh, specifically in the breathing muscles around the rib cage. So much of the neck pain and shoulder pain that I, I treat in my private clients is, a lot of it's just kind of hardwired into their breathing and mm. that it that kind of unwinding the tension in the the upper part of the rib cage and, and teaching them to focus on breathing lower into the ribs um, is a really powerful practice that's really been helpful but meditation absolutely um yes they you know just being able to be in a space where you can kind of separate yourself from those firing patterns and kind of watch them unravel as you settle into a space of stillness, um, really a powerful practice, you know, and it's one of those things that just takes time for you to do it long enough for you to recognize, you know, do it long enough in terms of frequency, not necessarily duration, but to see how 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 hardwired, how ingrained those habits of tension have become in your breathing and in your your mind and in your body, and I think once you start to experience what it's like to sit without that stuff or to sit in observation of that stuff, um, the the easier it becomes to really realize that you are not those patterns and that you have the ability to separate yourself from them, and uh, that in and of itself for pain is incredibly, incredibly helpful.
0: Oh my gosh, yes. Do you do you find there's any resistance um, of people when you're talking about meditation and visualization? Are they like, oh, I don't know if that's for me or do they usually take it up pretty easily?
2: Most people I find they come to me pretty at their wits end (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know my services are not covered by health insurance so when somebody reaches out to me and they're willing to pay the hourly rate to work with me um they're really willing to try anything so i've been kind of lucky there where where i notice a little bit of resistance but i i've developed a way around it is within the athletes that i work with so i'm a running coach Uh, i was coaching crossfit for a while I stopped when I started writing my book to give me some space in my schedule, but I still work with CrossFitters I'm around them a lot. I'm in my gym, um, working out, um, training for competition. So like I'm around, com- you know, competitive people and uh, people that are insistent on developing greater performance within their sport. And because I'm rarely injured um, and be and I'm rarely feeling burnt out and I perform at a high level at age 39 in two sports, it's a little bit of an easier jump for me to make because I'm I'm a role model for I'm a practicing what I'm preaching. Right. So, you know, like when I bring up meditation or when I bring up restorative yoga to the people that I'm around, they also see me living that lifestyle. And they also see that, you know, I'm I'm not young, I'm a masters athlete, Um, but I'm still continuing to improve and progress and get stronger and get faster as I age. So I think that, you know, seeing that and being the role model within that, within those arenas is really helpful. And I get a lot less resistance as a result of it. And then just making it available to people and and framing it up. I, I have a unique perspective when it comes to teaching meditation and yoga to athletes because I am a competitive athlete. So mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that kind of meeting them where they are and using their language is the way to get them to really buy into the process. So I, I do a lot of like online yoga classes um, and, and and I just started doing a, pod, a small podcast of medita- daily meditations that are designed to be for the average person who maybe hasn't done meditation before. So they're guided and the languaging meets these people where they are in a way that doesn't feel into my goal is to not feel intimidating or to make it feel too like out there to really just kind of tie the, the, the things that we know about our physical body to the state of well being that extends beyond just our physical body.
0: Yeah, that's so important to To make it accessible and and again with that some some groups of yoga teachers or some methods kind of demonizing tension like i talked about before yeah taking taking themselves away from the things they used to do because they have this idea in their head that all tension is bad and then you're kind of restricting the accessibility of other people to the yoga practice if everyone has to walk into a yoga studio it's just not going to happen for so many people. That's why like, I love corporate yoga. I love going into the workplace because those people like half of them, they're never going to walk into a yoga studio or they go to the gym, like teach at a gym, CrossFit, whatever. Um, and it can look different and it can sound different and you can, it can not be spiritual. And I know some people think like you have to be extremely spiritual in yoga, and that's cool. That's your jam, and it's amazing. Teach it that way, but it can look like so many different
2: things. Yeah, and yeah, you know yeah. people people are hungry for something beyond, you know, like and and I think it doesn't need to be anything where the languaging really is intimidating people because then you're missing an entire population of people that could really use this information. And, you know, I've had a lot of um, colleagues that have tried to teach, you know, athletes how to 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 practice yoga and and they go in with it with a yoga teacher mindset. And that's that's great within a yoga studio where people are self-selecting themselves to show up and to be in a yoga studio but there's an enormous chunk of the population that is way too intimidated to go into a yoga studio and we're not mm-hmm. making that any better by not speaking their language and i would much rather people have access to the practice and then and have it be, you know, something that's a little bit less overtly spiritual um because eventually i think the practice should be able to stand on its own. And I think people because I believe so firmly in the power of this practice, I don't have this feeling of no trust that if I don't start people out really spiritual, they'll never get there. I believe that the practice is strong enough to lead those people where they need to go in terms of their own spirituality and and how deep they go into it. I don't think that I need to oversell that, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I think it'll it'll get people where they need to go if I can just get them listening to the very basic the first step. What's the first step here? You know like yeah, if I can get people on board for that, I believe it, it's the, the practice is is powerful enough to stand on its own.
0: I also think that it might be more of an effective practice when you're teaching athletes because they're not going there for their workout. Yes, yep, which I think is you can problematic
2: all part of it out of the equation. Yep. this is not a workout for them.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I see that I'm actually, I will pre-recorded, um, an episode with a friend of mine. He's a teacher in Vancouver, he teaches more gentle and restorative type practices. And he has, he has a frustration. And I, sh- I share the frustration for these overly athletic yoga practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get that. Like it's a, it's a. It's a product of not having enough time, people not having enough time to do both, right? Mm-hmm. So they're trying to smash them together. And it's a product of how yoga came over from India, like Ashtanga yoga, extremely physical practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that I don't like to do those things, but sometimes I want to go into a yoga class and have a little bit of physicality and and, and not like, I just don't want to have to yeah. give it like a hundred million percent. I don't really want it to be my physical practice. Right. Um, I want it to be more complimentary. Agreed. So I, I get that, but it's the practices that are thinking that yoga always has to be this extreme physical practice that's right. taking away and doing a lot less yoga in people. Like people are, <laughs> I yeah. was one, one class I remember before class started, this girl's like, jumping up into a forearm stand like first of all she was just whipping her legs in the air and like then her legs would drop and she would swear every time and it's like burned into my brain like how <laughs> like she she needed to go for a run or something like I could just see there's so much happening stress-wise and yeah. in, in her body and she was thinking this is the place that it's an outlet and yeah it's like maybe there's a point in the practice where there's some of that you can use it as an outlet but the the rest of it should be be really managing stress, instead of just wanting to burn it, you go yeah, go lift heavy weights and run and move quickly for that.
2: Yeah, I yeah, I think that physical physicality can sometimes, as you said, get into get in the way of the real yoga practice. And there's a part of me that just So when I go to the gym, I go to the gym to be active and to be physical and to get stronger and to work on technique and to continue this process of self development um, in a very, uh, very uh, specific and strategic way and when I go into my yoga practice. I go into my yoga practice in order to help cultivate kind of the opposite of that, that that, that stillness, that silence, that acceptance, that contentment, right, where I'm not trying to be anything particular, I'm not trying to become something, I'm just, I'm just allowing myself the space to be, and fundamentally, I have, I, I take issue with, um, this idea that in order to silence the activity of our minds we need to punish our bodies um I, I think that you know like it gets dangerous when you start talking about how being really really physical as a way to burn off that mental energy and to basically drive yourself into exhaust physical exhaustion because you can't handle what's happening inside your head mm-hmm. i think that p- pushing our bodies to that point Um, during a yoga practice is, I've seen it go really, really wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's incredibly unfair. I think it's the opposite of compassionate. I think, I think it's in a lot of ways, the opposite of the practice, you know, to, to say that I'm dealing with stuff that's really heavy and hard, and I'm struggling mentally and spiritually. So I'm just gonna make myself so physically exhausted that I don't have to feel it. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be in that space. And like, that. That's not, that is not what I see the practice as being is like, I'm going to punish my body for what my mind can't handle. You know, yeah. like I, I, I really, I just have an issue with that. And I, I, I don't like the way that, um, you know, like when I was first teaching, I was being criticized for spending too long in the beginning of my practice grounding and teaching meditation because people come in with a lot in their head and they need to get moving right away. And I'm like, but, mm. but what? what (laughs) like you you can't punish your body for what your mind can't deal with like that that, it's not it's not a great way to approach yourself um and i'm just i'm not going to teach that i'm not going to teach that uh, you know like if you're if you're kind of in a bad mental space to just go in there and take it out on your body until you're so tired you don't feel it anymore you know That, that just there's something wrong with that in my mind
0: yeah Thank you for saying that. That's, I hope people, I hope that clicks with some people. That's super important for me. And and it's hard, like, when you start to teach yoga and you are getting that feedback from studio owners or, like, that one person in class that wants it a certain way. um, And it really can, like, fuck with your mind sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm like, maybe.
2: Maybe, you know, for a long time, I didn't teach my way Mm -hmm. because I was afraid of being criticized for it that people wouldn't show up to my classes. And there was a point where I realized how incredibly unsustainable it is to teach a class that's not authentic to you because suddenly I was like I hate teaching. But I don't hate teaching. I just hate teaching this way. And so I just, I just fuck it. <laughs> I'm teaching yeah. my way. And you know, my classes now are are you know, they're not for everybody. I mean, they're not, they're not for everybody. Not everybody loves them, but I have a solid group at 6:30 in the morning and it's one of the biggest classes in the studio because your people will find you. You know, yeah. like and and I believe in what I'm doing so strongly that if people are open to receiving this type of practice, they're gonna find so much benefit that eventually they're gonna they're gonna keep coming because they wanna keep coming, not because I'm giving them a good workout um, or because I'm making them work so hard they forget their problems. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm teaching them how to have those problems, how to feel what's happening, how to recognize it and then how to breathe through it because that's the skill the skill isn't going out into the world and turning your head off every time you're overwhelmed or exhausting yourself every time you're overwhelmed that's a terrible skill to learn the skill is facing it and saying i see it i and nodding at it and then breathing through it because that's that's what we have to do in life you don't get to just take a nap because you (laughs) have too much going on in your head you know like i mean i'm thinking about this in terms of how do i teach my students skills that are valuable for life yeah
0: yeah absolutely yeah i i use my skills that i've learned in my like it becoming a yoga teacher and before that from other teachers at like every day every day in my everyday life when you're looking at someone and you can see they're super frustrated and normally people would think oh like they're an asshole or what's their problem you mm-hmm. can kind of see like hey they're yeah. going they're processing something's happening they're human show them some compassion you yeah. know it's um, not
2: about you you know like, exactly yeah you know these things that that I, I think we when we when we treat the practice as just a physical practice we lose the nuances of navigating life beyond the four corners of your map and so I'm always looking for ways to you know, teach my students to recognize those nuances and, and, and know that it doesn't always have to be perfect for you. Like things, you're going to run into things that are uncomfortable. You're gonna have things happen to you that you're not proud of. And, and how do you get through that beyond just ignoring it or wearing yourself out? Like those are not the only options we have. We can be present with that stuff and, and move through it in a really productive way. And in doing so, I think we give people permission, the people around us permission to do the same.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. I am glad that you're a yoga teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of confused teachers out there and I mean, everyone will find, find their way. Uh, it sounds like you have a lot of clarity around your teaching methodology from your experience as a athlete and someone who's faced injury and going through, I mean, the change in career as well. Yeah. It can be stressful. So you have a good use of that tool.
2: Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, you know, like, I think this life is all about, you know, facing challenge, you know, and how are we confronting that challenge? How are we how are we supporting ourselves? How are we carrying ourselves through those challenges? And, and that is something that I find so easily transfers to a physical yoga practice and, and still maintains the, the real crux of the, the, the less physical parts of the practice, you know, like how am I'm struggling right now and that's okay. I'm still breathing. How am I supporting myself? Can I do a better job at that? You know, and, and it's, it's, I, I just I as, as I get more and more clear because it, it's been a long process to get this clear about what I really am trying to communicate to my students. Um, you know, as I get more and more clear, it's it's really less about um, less about like the shape um, or the position and more about how am I supporting myself and you know, am I maximizing the, all the tools that are available to me in this moment. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh my gosh, so many students can benefit from that when they're forcing themselves into into weird yeah.
2: <laughs> postures. Yeah. And I've been there, so I get it. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I, that was a, mm-hmm. part of my journey. I, I've definitely been there, and I, I, everybody's entitled to their own journey and to move through that journey at their own pace. Yeah, and I am grateful for the lessons that I learned. Um, But my role, I think, is just to teach people it it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, like, I'm not trying to dissuade some anybody from taking their own personal journey, if that's where they feel led. Because I know there's so much good feedback that comes from making mistakes in those decisions. But just there's so many people out there that that's not really their goal, but they still feel like that's what the practice is and that they, that they're not progressing in their practice if they're not getting deeper and into poses. And, and I find that that is just one of these false beliefs that we as yoga teachers can teach people. It doesn't need to be about achieving more within the practice that there's a, there's a level of depth and complexity. This practice doesn't involve you getting more physically flexible, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. So if if you're not interested in going down that road, you can still have a really great, sustainable, healthy practice throughout your lifetime.
0: Yeah. That interception is really, really important because yeah, some people are going to go, go that way and that's totally fine and potentially get injured. And that's how you have to learn. Um, and then, but yeah, just to, just to let people know, does this making this pose in this certain way is is not going to better you.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not gonna, it's not going to, to force you. It's not going to cause you to be enlightened necessarily, you know, but the process of negotiating, um, the sensations that are coming up within yourself and changing the level of support that you're providing yourself. And, you know, all of that will change your life, you know, and that doesn't require that you ever have a leg or two behind your head. Yes. Oh (laughs) gosh. It's a completely different approach to the practice, you know, and, and, and to your point about tension being demonized, you know, like as an athlete, that's that's it's not valuable at all to have a body mm-hmm. that doesn't have tension in it. Like yeah. know, we're we're moving weights, we're c- dealing with impact, we're dealing with external forces being applied to us. We need tension, and so walking into a class where the goal is to just let it all go is not something that people are always going to be able to get their mind around. And when they can't they start to feel like there's something wrong with them and this practice isn't for them, but I I, I really take issue with that. So I try to, to not teach in that way and to really kind of give people other ways to measure their their success within their practice besides just achievement of something.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so important. I love it. Um, oh My gosh. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. I wish Sandy could have been here, but you know, Things happen. Yeah. (laughs) I
2: feel better, Um, Sandy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if we have you back. So there's always opportunity to chat more. What about that? We are going to link up to everything that you mentioned um, your blog, and the link for your book, and Instagram, and all that stuff. Sweet. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to say before we leave our listeners today?
2: No. um, Thanks for having me on. It was so great to chat with you, and I look forward to connecting with um any of y'all out there that are interested in the same sort of stuff to uh yeah reach out and connect with me on instagram or through my website i'm i'm really all about the human connection piece and the shared experiences so i'd really love to hear what resonates with everybody
0: yeah yeah i really recommend you guys if you have any questions definitely reach out because she will answer you back
2: i will, <laughs> <laughs> <She> will.
0: <laughs> all right we'll leave it there thank you so much again have a great day thank you bye-bye bye